there is nothing wrong with your television set. Do not attempt to adjust the picture. We are controlling transmission. We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. We can change the focus to a soft blur or sharpen it to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit quietly and we will control all that you see and hear. You are about to participate in a great adventure. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind to the outer limits. Hey folks, just when I had gotten back on a steady release schedule, the fate stepped in and pumped the brakes on that. So I called out to the mothership. In 2018, Tom Elliott posted a reading of the short story, I, Robot, by Iando Binder, which appeared in the January issue of Amazing Stories in 1939. That story, along with its follow-up, The Trial of Adam Link, Robot, were later adapted into the Outer Limits Season 2 episode which featured a pre-Star Trek Leonard Nimoy. So I asked Brother Tom if I could put out his reading, and he graciously said yes. So while I finish our next episode, sit quietly and let Tom Elliott bring you into the world of the Ando Binders by Robot. Robot by Ando Binder Chapter 1 My Creation Much of what has occurred puzzles me, but I think I am beginning to understand now. You call me a monster, but you are wrong, utterly wrong. I will try to prove it to you in writing. I hope I have time to finish. I will begin at the beginning. I was born, or created, six months ago, on November 3rd of last year. I am a true robot, so many of you seem to have doubts. I am made of wires and wheels, not flesh and blood. My first recollection of consciousness was a feeling of being chained. And I was. For three days before that, I had been seeing and hearing, but all in a jumble. Now, I had the urge to arise and peer more closely at the strange moving form that I had seen so many times before me, making sounds. The moving form was Dr. Link, my creator. He was the only thing that moved of all the objects within my sight, he and one other object, his dog Terry. Therefore, these two objects held my interest more. I hadn't yet learned to associate movement with life, but on this fourth day, I wanted to approach the two moving shapes and make noises at them, particularly at the smaller one. His noises were challenging, staring, they made me want to rise and quiet them, but I was chained. 
I was held down by them so that, in my blank state of mind, I wouldn't wander off and bring myself to an untimely end, or harm someone unknowingly. These things, of course, Dr. Link explained to me later, when I could disassociate my thoughts and understand. I was just like a baby for those three days, a human baby. I am not as other so-called robots were, mere automized machines designed to obey certain commands or arrange stimuli. No, I was equipped with a pseudo-brain that could receive all stimuli that human brains could, and with possibilities of eventually learning to rationalize for itself. But for three days Dr. Link was very anxious about my brain. I was like a human baby, and yet I was also like a sensitive but unorganized machine, subject to the whim of mechanical chance. My eyes turned when a bit of paper fluttered to the floor, but photoelectric cells had been made before, capable of doing the same. My mechanical ears turned to best receive sounds from a certain direction, but any scientist could duplicate that trick with sonic relays. The question was, did my brain, to which the eyes and ears were connected, hold on to these various impressions for future use? Did I have, in short, memory? Three days I was like a newborn baby, and Dr. Link was like a worried father, wondering if his child had been born a hopeless idiot. But on the fourth day, he feared I was a wild animal. I began to make rasping sounds with my vocal apparatus, in answer to the sharp little noises the dog Terry made. I shook my swivel head at the same time, and strained against my bonds. For a while, as Dr. Link told me, he was frightened of me. I seemed like nothing so much as an enraged jungle creature, ready to go berserk. He had more than half a mind to destroy me on the spot, but one thing changed his mind and saved me. The little animal Terry, barking angrily, rushed forward suddenly. It probably wanted to bite me. Dr. Link tried to call it back, but too late. Finding my smooth metal legs adamant, the dog leaped with foolish bravery into my lap to come at my throat. One of my hands grasped it by the middle and held it up. My metal fingers squeezed too hard and the dog gave out a pained squeal. Instantaneously, my hand opened to let the creature escape. Instantaneously. My brain had interpreted the sound for what it was. A long chain of memory association had worked. Three days before when I had first been brought to life, Dr. Link had stepped on Terry's foot accidentally. The dog had squealed its pain. I had seen Dr. Link at risk of losing his balance instantly jerk up his foot. Terry had stopped squealing. Terry squealed when my hand tightened. He would stop when I untightened. Memory association. The thing psychologists called reflexive reaction. A sign of a living brain. 
Dr. Link tells me he let out a cry of pure triumph. He knew at a stroke I had memory. He knew I was not a wanton monster. He knew I had a thinking organ, and a first-class one. Why? Because I had reacted instantaneously. You will realise what that means later. I learned to walk in three hours. Dr. Link was still taking somewhat of a chance on binding my chains. He had no assurance that I would not just blunder away like a witless machine. But he knew he had to teach me to walk before I could learn to talk. The same as he knew he must bring my brain alive fully connected to the appendages and pseudo-organs it was later to use. If he had simply disconnected my legs and arms for those first three days, my awakening brain would never have been able to use them when connected later. Do you think, if you were suddenly endowed with a third arm, that you could ever use it? Why does it take a cured paralytic so long to regain the use of his natural limbs? Mental blind spots in the brain. Dr. Link had all those strange psychological twists figured out. Walk first, talk next. That is the tried and true rule used among humans since the dawn of their species. Human babies learn best and fastest that way. And I was a human baby in mind, if not body. Dr. Link held his breath when I first essayed to rise. I did, slowly, swaying on my metal legs. Up in my head, I had a three-directional spirit level electrically contacting my brain. It told me automatically what was horizontal, vertical and oblique. My first tentative step, however, wasn't a success. My knee joints flexed in reverse order. I clattered to my knees, which fortunately were knobbed with thick protective plates, so that the more delicate swivelling mechanisms behind weren't harmed. Dr. Link says I looked up at him like a startled child might. Then I promptly began walking along on my knees, finding this easy. Children would do this more, only that it hurts them. I know no hurt. After I had roved up and down the aisles of his workshop for an hour, nicking up his furniture terribly, walking on my knees seemed completely natural. Dr. Link was in a quandary how to get me up to my full height. He tried grasping my arm and pulling me up, but my 300 pounds of weight were too much for him. My own rapidly increasing curiosity solved the problem. Like a child discovering the thrill of added height with stilts, my next attempt to rise to my full height pleased me. I tried staying up. I finally mastered the technique of alternate use of limbs and shift of weight forward. In a couple of hours, Dr. Link was leading me up and down the gravel walk around his laboratory. On my legs it was quite easy for him to pull me along, and thus guide me. Little Terry gambled along at our heels, barking joyfully. The dog had accepted me as a friend. I was by this time quite docile to Dr. Link's guidance. My impressionable mind had quietly accepted him as a necessary rein and check. 
I did, he told me later, make tentative movements in odd directions off the path, motivated by vague stimuli, but his firm arm pulling me back served instantly to keep me in line. He paraded up and down with me, as one might with an irresponsible oaf. I would have kept walking tirelessly for hours, but Dr. Link's burden of years quickly fatigued him, and he led me inside. When he had safely gotten me seated in my metal chair, he clicked the switch on my chest that broke the electric current giving me life. And for the fourth time, I knew that dreamless non-being which corresponded to my creator's periods of sleep. Chapter 2 My Education In three days I learned to walk reasonably well, I give Dr. Link as much credit as myself. In those three days he pointed out the names of all objects in the laboratory and around. This fund of two hundred or so nouns he supplemented with as many verbs of action as he could demonstrate. Once heard and learned, a word never again was forgotten or obscured to me. Instantaneous comprehension. Photographic memory. Those things... I had. It is difficult to explain. Machinery is precise, unvarying. I am a machine. Electrons perform their tasks instantaneously. Electrons motivate my metallic brain. Thus, with the intelligence of a child of five at the end of those... Thus, with the intelligence of a child of five at the end of those three days, Dr. Link taught me to read... My photoelectric eyes instantly grasped the connection between speech and letter, as my mentor pointed them out. Thought association filled in the gaps of understanding. I perceived without delay that the word lion, for instance, pronounced in its peculiar way, represented a live animal crudely pictured in the book. I have never seen a lion, but I would know one the instant I did. From primers and first readers, I graduated in less than a week to adult books. Dr. Link laid out an extensive reading course for me in his large library. It included fiction as well as factual matter. Into my receptive, retentive brain began to be poured a fund of information and knowledge, never before equaled in that short period of time. There are other things to consider besides my birth and education. First of all, the housekeeper. She came in once a week to clean up the house for Dr. Link. He was a recluse, lived by himself, cooked for himself, retired on an annuity from an invention years before. The housekeeper had seen me in the process of construction in the past years, but only as an inanimate caricature of a human body. Dr. Link should have known better. When the first Saturday of my life came around, he forgot it was the day she came. He was absorbedly pointing out to me that to run meant to go faster than to walk. Demonstrate, Dr. Link asked, as I claimed understanding. Obediently, I took a few slow steps before him. Walking, I said. Then I retreated a ways and lumbered forward again, running for a few steps. 
the stone floor clattered under my metallic feet. Was that right? I asked in my rather stentorian voice. At that moment a terrified shriek sounded from the doorway. The housekeeper came up just in time to see me perform. She screamed, making more noise than even I. It's the devil himself! Run, Dr. Link, run! Police! Help! She fainted dead away. He revived her and talked soothingly to her, trying to explain what I was. But he had to get a new housekeeper. After this, he contrived to remember when Saturday came, and on that day kept me hidden in a storeroom reading books. A trivial incident in itself, perhaps, but very significant, as you who will read this will agree. Two months after my awakening to life, Dr. Link one day spoke to me in a fashion other than as a teacher to a pupil. Spoke to me as man to man. You are the results of twenty years of effort, he said, and my success amazes even me. You are a little short of being human in mind. You are a monster, a creation, but you are basically human. You have no heredity. Your environment is moulding you. You are the proof that mind is an electrical phenomenon, moulded by environment. In human beings, their bodies, called heredity, are environment. But out of you, I will make a mental wonder. His eyes seemed to burn with a strange fire, but this softened as he went on. I knew I had something unprecedented and vital. Twenty years ago when I perfected an iridium sponge, sensitive to the impact of a single electron. It was the sensitivity of thought. Mental currents in the human brain are of this micromagnitude. I had the means now of duplicating mind currents in an artificial medium. From that day to this, I worked on the problem. It was not long ago that I completed your brain, an intricate complex of iridium sponge cells. Before I brought it to life, I had your body built by skilled artisans. I wanted you to begin life equipped to live and move in it as nearly in the human way as possible. How eagerly I awaited your debut into the world. His eyes shone. You surpassed my expectations. You're not merely a thinking robot, a metal man. You are life, a new kind of life. You can be trained to think, to reason, to perform. In the future your kind can be of inestimable aid to man and his civilization. You are the first of your kind. The days and weeks slipped by. My mind matured and gathered knowledge steadily from Dr. Link's library. I was able, in time, to scan and absorb a page at a time of reading matter as readily as human eyes can scan lines. You know of the television principles, pencils of light moving hundreds of times a second over the object to be transmitted. My eyes, triggered with speedy electrons, could do the same. 
What I read was absorbed, memorized, instantly. From then on, it was part of my knowledge. Scientific subjects particularly claimed my attention. There was always something indefinable about human things, something I could not quite grasp, but science digested easily in my science-compounded brain. It was not long before I knew all about myself and why I ticked, much more fully than most humans know why they live, think, and move. Mechanical principles became starkly simple to me. I made suggestions for improvements in my own makeup that Dr. Link readily agreed upon correcting. We added little universals in my fingers, for example, that made them almost as supple as their human models. Almost, I say. The human body is a marvellously perfected organic machine. No robot will ever equal it in sheer efficiency and adaptability. I realised my limitations. Perhaps you will realise what I mean when I say that my eyes cannot see colours. Or rather, I just see one colour, in the blue range. It would take an impossibly complex series of units, bigger than my whole body, to enable me to see all colours. Nature has packed all that into two globes the size of marbles for her robots. She had a billion years to do it. Dr. Link only had 20 years. But my brain, that was another matter. Equipped with only the two sensors of one colour sight and limited sound, it was yet capable of furnishing a full experience. Smell and taste are gastronomic sensors. I do not need them. Feeling is a device of nature's to protect a fragile body. My body is not fragile. Sight and sound are the only two cerebral senses. Einstein, colorblind, half-deaf, and with deadened senses of taste, smell, and feeling, would still have been Einstein, mentally. Sleep is only a word to me. When Dr. Link knew he could trust me to take care of myself, he dispensed with a nightly habit of turning me off. When he slept, I spent the hours reading. He taught me how to remove the depleted storage battery in the pelvic part of my metal frame when necessary and replace it with a fresh one. This had to be done every 48 hours. Electricity is my life and strength. It is my food. Without it, I am so much metal junk. But I have explained enough of myself. I suspect that 10,000 more pages of description would make no difference in your attitude, you who are even now. An amusing thing happened one day not long ago. Yes, I can be amused too. I cannot laugh, but my brain can appreciate the ridiculous. Dr. Link's perennial gardener came to the place, unannounced. Searching for the doctor to ask how he wanted the hedges cut, the man came upon us in the back, walking side by side for Dr. Link's daily exercise. The gardener's mouth began speaking, and then ludicrously gaped open, and stayed that way, as he caught a full glimpse of me. But he did not faint in fright as the housekeeper had. 
He stood there, paralysed. What's the matter, Charlie? queried Dr. Link sharply. He was so used to me that for the moment he had no idea why the gardener should be astonished. That thingy, gasped the man finally. Oh, well, it's a robot, said Dr. Link. Haven't you ever heard of them? An intelligent robot. Speak to him. He'll answer. After some urging, the gardener sheepishly turned to me. How do you do, Mr. Robot? He stammered. How do you do, Mr. Charlie? I returned promptly, seeing the amusement in Dr. Link's face. Nice weather, isn't it? For a moment the man looked ready to shriek and run, but he squared his shoulders and curled his lip. Trickery, he scoffed. That thing can't be intelligent. You've got a phonograph inside of it. How about the hedges? I'm afraid, murmured Dr. Link with a chuckle, that the robot is more intelligent than you, Charlie. But he said it so that the man didn't hear, and then directed how to trim the hedges. Charlie didn't do a good job. He seemed to be nervous all day. Chapter 3. My Fate One day Dr. Link stared at me proudly. You have now, he said, the intellectual capacity of a man of many years. Soon I'll announce you to the world. You shall take your place in our world as an independent entity, as a citizen. Yes, Dr. Link, I returned. Whatever you say, you are my master. Don't think of it that way, he admonished. In the same sense you are my son. But a father's not a son's master after his maturity. You've gained that status, he frowned thoughtfully. You must have a name. Adam. Adam Link. He faced me and put a hand on my shiny chromium shoulder. Adam Link, what's your choice of future life? I want to serve you, Dr. Link. But you will outlive me, and you may outlive several other masters. I will serve any master who will have me, I said slowly. I had been thinking about this before. I have been created by man. I will serve man. Perhaps he was testing me. I don't know. But my answers obviously pleased him. Now, he said, I will have no fears in announcing you. The next day he was dead. That was three days ago. I was in the storeroom reading. It was housekeeper's day. I heard the noise. I ran up the steps into the laboratory. Dr. Link lay, with skull crushed. A loose angle iron of a transformer hung on an insulated platform on the wall had slipped and crashed down on his head while he sat there before his workbench. I raised his head, slumped over the bench, to better see the wound. Death was instantaneous. These are the facts. I turned the angle iron back myself. The blood on my fingers resulted when I raised his head, not knowing for the moment that he was stark dead. In a sense, I was responsible for the accident, for in my early days of walking, I had once blundered against the transformer shelf and nearly torn it loose. We should have repaired it. But that I am his murderer, as you all believe, is not true. 
The housekeeper had also heard the noise and came from the house to investigate. She took one look. She saw me bending over the doctor, his head torn and bloody. She fled, too frightened to make a sound. It would be hard to describe my thoughts. The little dog Terry sniffed at the body, sensed the calamity, and went down on his belly whimpering. He felt the loss of a master. So did I. I am not sure what your emotion of sorrow is. Perhaps I cannot feel that deeply. But I do know that the sunlight seems suddenly faded to me. My thoughts are rapid. I stood there only a minute. But in that time I made up my mind to leave. This again has been misinterpreted. You considered that an admission of guilt. The criminal escaping from the scene of his crime. In my case, it was a full-fledged desire to go out into the world, find a place in it. Dr. Link and my life with him were a closed book. No use now to stay in what ceremonials. He had launched my life. He was gone. My place now must be somewhere out in the world I had never seen. No thought entered my mind of what you humans would decide about me. I thought all men were like Dr. Link. First of all, I took a fresh battery, replacing my half-depleted one. I would need another in 48 hours, but I was sure this would be taken care of by anyone to whom I made the request. I left. Terry followed me. He has been with me all the time. I have heard a dog is man's best friend, even a metal man's. My conceptions of geography soon proved hazy at best. I had pictured Earth as teeming with humans and cities, with not much space between. I had estimated that the city Dr. Link spoke of must be just over the hill from his secluded country home. Yet the woods I traversed seemed endless. It was not until hours later that I met the little girl. She had been dangling her bare legs into a brook, sitting on a flat rock. I approached, to ask where the city was. She turned when I was still thirty feet away. My internal mechanisms do not run silently. They make a steady noise that Dr. Link always described as a handful of coins jingling together. The little girl's face contorted as soon as she saw me. I must be a fearsome sight indeed in your eyes. Screaming her fear, she blindly jumped up, lost her balance, and fell into the stream. I knew what drowning was. I knew I must save her. I knelt at the rock's edge and reached down for her. I managed to grasp one of her arms and pull her up. I could feel the bones of her thin little wrist crack. I had forgotten my strength. I had to grasp her little leg with my other hand to pull her up. The livid mark showed on her white flesh when I laid her on the grass. I can guess now what interpretation was put on all this. A terrible, raving monster. I had tried to drown her and break her little body in wanton savageness. You, others of her picnic party, appeared then, in answer to her cries. You women screamed and fainted. You men snarled and threw rocks at me. 
but what strange bravery imbued the woman, probably the child's mother, who ran up under my very feet to snatch up her loved one. I admired her. The rest of you I despised for not listening to my attempts to explain. You drowned out my voice with your screams and shouts. Dr. Link's robot! It's escaped and gone crazy! He shouldn't have made that monster! Get the police! Nearly killed poor Francis! With all these garbled shouts to one another, you withdrew. You didn't notice that Terry was barking angrily at you. Can you fool a dog? We went on. Now my thoughts really became puzzled. Here at last was something I could not rationalise. This was so different from the world I had learned about in books. What subtle things lay behind the printed words I had read. What happened to the sane and orderly world my mind had conjured for itself. Night came. I had to stop and stay still in the dark. I leaned against the tree motionlessly. For a while... I heard little Terry snooping around in the brush for something to eat. I heard him gnawing something. Then later, he curled up at my feet and slept. The hours passed slowly. My thoughts would not come to a conclusion about the recent occurrence. Monster! Why had they believed that? Once in the distance, I heard a murmur as of a crowd of people. I saw some lights. They had significance the next day. At dawn, I nudged Terry with my toe as we walked on. The same murmur arose, approached. Then I saw you, a crowd of you, men with clubs, scythes and guns. You spied me and a shout went up. You hung together as you advanced. Then something struck my frontal plate with a sharp clang. One of you had shot. Stop, wait, I shouted, knowing I must talk to you, find out why I was being hunted like a wild beast. I had taken a step forward, hand upraised, but you would not listen. More shots rang out, denting my metal body. I turned and ran. A bullet in a vital spot would ruin me as much as a human. You came after me like a pack of hounds, but I outdistanced you, powered by steel muscles. Terry fell behind, lost. Then, as afternoon came, I realised I must get a newly charged battery. Already my limbs were moving sluggishly. I knew I must find a road to the city. I finally came upon a winding dirt road and followed it in hope. When I saw a car parked at the side of the road ahead of me, I knew I was saved, for Dr. Link's car had the same sort of battery I used. There was no one around the car. Much as a starving man would take the first meal available, I raised the floorboards and in a short while had substituted batteries. New strength coursed through my body. I straightened up just as two people came arm in arm from among the trees, a young man and woman. They caught sight of me. Incredulous shock came into their faces. The girl shrank into the boy's arms. Do not be alarmed, I said. I will not harm you. I... There was no use going on. I saw that. The boy fainted dead away in the girl's arms and she began dragging him away, wailing hysterically. 
I left. My thoughts from then on can be best described as brooding. I did not want to go to the city now. I began to realise I was an outcast in human eyes, from first sight on. Just as night fell and I stopped, I heard a most welcome sound. Terry's barking. He came up joyfully wagging his stump of a tail. I reached down to scratch his ears. All these hours he had faithfully searched for me. He had probably tracked me by scent of oil. What can cause such blind devotion? And to a metal man? Is it because, as Dr. Link once stated, that the body, human or otherwise, is only part of the environment of the mind? And that Terry recognised in me as much of a human mind as in humans, despite my alien body? If that is so... It is you who are passing judgment on me as a monster, who are in the wrong, and I am convinced it is so. I hear you now, shouting outside, beware that you do not drive me to be the monster you call me. The next dawn precipitated you upon me again. Bullets flew. I ran. All that day it was the same. Your party swelled by added recruits, split into groups, trying to ring me in. You tracked me by my heavy footprints. My speed saved me each time, yet some of those bullets have done damage. One struck the joint of my right knee, so that my leg twisted as I ran. One smashed into the right side of my head and shattered the tympanum there, making me deaf on that side. But the bullet that hurt me most was the one that killed Terry. The shooter of that bullet was twenty yards away. I could have run to him, broken his every bone with my hard, powerful hands. Have you stopped to wonder why I didn't take revenge? Perhaps I should. I was hopelessly lost all that day. I went in circles through the endless woods and, as often blundered into you, as you into me. I was trying to get away from the vicinity, from your vengeance. Towards dusk, I saw something familiar. Dr. Link's laboratory. Hiding in a clump of bushes and waiting till it was utterly dark, I approached and broke the lock on the door. It was deserted. Dr. Link's body was gone, of course. My birthplace. My six months of life here whirled through my mind with kaleidoscopic rapidity. I wondered if my emotion was akin to what yours would be, returning to a well-remembered place. Perhaps my emotion is far deeper than yours can be. Life may be all in the mind. Something gripped me there, throbbingly. The shadows made by a dim gas jet I lit seemed to dance around me like little Terry had danced. Then I found the book, Frankenstein, lying on the desk whose drawers had been emptied, Dr. Link's private desk. He had kept a book from me. Why? I read it now in half an hour, by my page at a time scanning, and then I understood. But it is the most stupid premise ever made, that a created man must turn against his creator, Against humanity, lacking a soul, the book is all wrong. Or is it? 
as I finish writing this, here among blasted memories, with the spirit of Terry in the shadows, I wonder if I shouldn't. It is close to dawn now. I know there is no hope for me. You have surrounded, cut off. I can see the flares of your torches between the trees. In the light you will find me. Root me out. Your hatred lust is aroused. It will be sated only by my death. I have not been so badly damaged that I cannot summon strength and power enough to ram through your lines and escape this fate. But it would only be at the cost of several of your lives. And that is the reason I have my hands on the switch that can blink out my life with one twist. Ironic, isn't it? That I have the very feelings you are so sure I lack. Signed, Adam Link. There you have it, folks. I want to thank Tom Elliott once again for allowing me to use his recording for this episode. We'll be back soon with Don't Open Till Doomsday. Until that time. We now return control of your television set to you. Until next week at this same time, when the control voice will take you to... The Outer Limits.